0: My name is Dario Hasenstab, I have a degree in international affairs, and I'm here with Balder Hagridz, a former university professor of mine, as well as an IR consultant. And together, we're bursting the Western Bubble. Today is a special episode, uh, because today we will not be talking about a topic in particular, but this will be our end of the year recap. And because we are creative people, we thought that we would hand out awards, um, awards that are about the Western Bubble and so we called them the bubbles we are going to hand out the bubbles in five different categories and um, yeah as always i will be doing this with boulder uh, hello Balder. how are you
1: hi Dario. good to be here again
0: um but i'm also doing this with our research uh, and analysis assistant linda linda how are you
2: great thank you so much
0: and so yeah the way that this will go is that we will Give you a recap of the Western bubble year. This is very important. It's not going to be the international relations year in, uh, in general. And let's be honest, it has been dominated largely by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, so do not be surprised if um, people, individuals, countries uh, surrounding that topic will come up a lot in the awards. We will be handing out awards in five different categories, starting with almost started World War III, biggest bubble blooper, media claims, the label Terrorism, and Bubble Burster. All the way at the end, we will also give off some honorable mentions. Um, and so, yeah, let's let's get right into it uh, with the first category. Almost started World War III, and the way that this is going to go is that each of us, so myself, Balder, and Linda, we will each present uh, one one nomination of someone who deserves to win that category award, the bubble. And then uh, in the end, we're going to announce uh, the winner that we have discussed before. Starting with the first nomination, um, Balder, who did you nominate?
1: Well, uh, given that three episodes ago, we already discussed this in quite a lot of detail, and you just told the listeners that Ukraine is going to be an important part of today's episode, because it's been such an important part of the year. I thought I'd start with nominating President Zelensky, basically for two related reasons. The first is... Exactly as we discussed in the episode, the way that he handled the accidental um, anti-air missiles that landed on Polish soil and uh, then led to the unfortunate deaths of two people, where the world very quickly discovered that uh, this was an accident by ukrainian air defenses but zelensky kept on insisting for quite a while that this has not had nothing to do with ukraine it was probably russia and therefore trying to drag nato into the war um, because if poland gets attacked then the whole of nato gets attacked and that is part of a larger pattern where zelensky this whole year since the invasion has been desperate to get nato involved in the actual violence which would absolutely lead to world war Three if that were ever to happen
0: Yeah, I remember this uh, in detail. I mean, partly because we just discussed it so few episodes ago, but also because he's never really apologized for it. Mm -hmm. He never even stated that he was wrong. It was just, you know, it went from it was definitely Russia to, you know, Russia was involved or it was Russia's fault that this happened. Um, But he, he never even apologized to, I don't know, maybe the families or the Polish
1: And even though it's not really up to us to analyze any Ukrainian bubble, we're talking about the Western bubble here, but uh, that is a typical sign of bubble thinking, right? Bunker mentality, where you are just not capable anymore of thinking rationally and sort of admitting that maybe your side also does something wrong once in a while or that some accidents happen and continuously emphasizing that it is the other side to blame. That is very much what bubble thinking is about. And that, that was clearly on display. But from our perspective, I think he's a very good candidate, given that if he got his wish, if NATO got to be actively involved in the war, then that would absolutely lead to a disastrous World War Three.
0: I mean, and I think he also stands a little bit representative here for the media, uh, who, who jumped right onto that bandwagon for, for a few hours.
1: That's, that's absolutely true. Um, people for about 12 hours were panicked even though they really shouldn't have been.
0: Okay, then moving on to the next uh, nomination. Linda, who did you nominate for almost starting World War III?
2: Um, Well, for this, I will definitely have to nominate Putin, as he is the one who started the war. He is the one who sent the soldiers into Ukraine on the 24th of February. And he's also the one who issued a threat um, to use nuclear weapons. So for me, with no doubt, it has to be Putin.
0: And I mean, I, I think that's a that's a fabulous nomination. I mean, I think we do have to be a have to have a bit of a conversation that Putin is not part of the Western bubble, but there's an omnipresence in it, right?
2: Yes, for sure. And the West was so influenced by the decisions that Putin made.
1: There's absolutely no doubt that even if I nominate Zelensky, and that was sort of the argument that we also discussed previously, that couldn't have happened without Putin doing what he did, right? So in that sense. Uh, if we're going to go down that path, then Putin might be a better candidate than Zelensky.
0: Exactly. I mean, ultimately, we, and we said this many times before, it was absolutely Putin's decision to invade Ukraine. And with this, you know, starting a country to country war and in, in Europe for, for the first time in quite some time. And with this, you know, starting some bigger movements in the world, and I think we will go into that uh, later as well. Um, so for me, it's uh, Nancy Pelosi, the former, I think I should add, uh, Speaker of the House of Representatives in the United States, who in, I think it was August August or September of this year, decided that she, as, again, the Speaker of a House, not the President who's responsible for foreign policy, and, the, well, the Congress is also responsible for foreign policy to a certain extent, then Nancy Pelosi decided to go on a trip to Taiwan, um, again, a country that China claims is part of its of its of its own territory and state, and that is highly contentious that the United States has shown strategic uh, ambivalence. And with her visit, uh, first of all, causing a huge uh, fuzz in the media where suddenly flight trackers, you know were looking into her airplane. Uh, then she she landed in Taiwan and went there on a quick visit. And with this, then provoke the Chinese into a reaction, you know, of causing a very heavy uh, military exercise by China around uh, Taiwan. And for me personally, you know, creating a lot of tensions in an area where there were not a lot of tensions before. Um, like I mean, obviously in the in the Taiwan case, you you always have your you always have your your tensions, but then you know, sparking it without any need. And I think that resembles for me, you know, that category almost started World War Three. There was no need for her to provoke China in that sense. Um, and yeah, for that, I nominate Nancy Pelosi.
1: And it's a fair point because even in her job description, there was nothing really that needed to happen there, right? She didn't have to, there, there was no one. So it, it really was such a clearly voluntary choice that it makes the sy- symbolism so much stronger, right? That's, that, That is an important item here. However... Um, can't we argue that both the United States and China are nowhere near as aggressively involved as NATO and Russia and Ukraine and Russia, obviously, at the moment? So, in that sense, even though I very much appreciate the nomination, I don't think it stands up when compared to, for example, Lin- Linda's choice.
0: All right, then our digital drum roll, please. And the winner is Putin. I think there's not a single candidate on this list who would have deserved it more. Um, if you start a war in 2022 between two countries by invading a country, you make a really, really strong case for yourself.
1: Well done, Vladimir Vladimirovich.
0: Yeah, exactly. Thank you for nothing. Um, <laughs> and with this, I think we can move on to the, to the next uh, you know, category here. The biggest bubble blooper. Um, Alder, who did you nominate here? Who really messed up this year within the Western bubble?
1: I would argue I've got an incredibly strong candidate here in this category. Um, it's someone that we've spoken a lot about before and after the blooper became visible to the world. My candidate is Liz Truss, the shortest, shortest prime minister in UK history. Uh, if this list is correct, there have been 57 of them and she is right at the bottom for with 49 days that already is a bit embarrassing but then if you notice within those 49 days what kind of damage she did to her own country and you could say to the broader world as well by being completely caught up in this narrative about growth 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 completely forgetting about what basic policy making and basic politics is about that it is quite an achievement to mess up so much in such a short period of time. zone. So, um, I mean, uh, it's there. There might be other candidates, but it is such a stark reminder of why we want good leadership and what bad leadership can accomplish as well.
0: Indeed, I mean, this was a category. You know, I think the the list of nominations was very long, but when it comes to list trust. I remember because we recorded two episodes about this, our, our loyal listeners will know this, and I can really recommend both of them because you have that before and after perspective. And I remember thinking after the first episode, oh, we were really harsh on this Truss here. This, uh, you know, calling calling someone out like this, and she hasn't really done that many things, you know. And then the second episode, only, only a month later, I believe, um, you have the United Kingdom thrown into complete turmoil economically politically you know on all levels i mean again we we, we in, in the episode uk again uh we we analyzed it in detail but the amount of damage you know you can do within within such a short period of time uh, is makes list a very strong contender one very serious and fascinating observation about this
1: is how it is possible that someone like her rises to the top, right? Because one of the reasons why I was already very critical of her before is that she had been foreign secretary under Boris Johnson. And so you've got this whole system in place that clear, everyone can see how bad she was as a foreign secretary. Everyone around her must have, been, must have known that she wasn't the right person to become prime minister, and yet she becomes prime minister, which is one of the reasons why we are arguing in our podcast series so much that if you care about the West and you want the West to do well, let's stop worrying about authoritarian regimes and just let's look at our own governance model and and what is going wrong within our own democratic bubble.
0: And then so moving on to the next nomination, Linda, who did you nominate for the biggest bubble blooper?
2: So I nominate Putin again as he completely miscalculated the war from his own perspective he overestimated the Russian army, and the Russian invasion already in the first few days shows that the state of the army was much worse uh, than that initiated by their propaganda. Um, he misinterpreted the situation on the ground, and he completely underestimated uh, the reaction of the West too. So yeah.
0: And and also the the uh, he I think he also underestimated the reaction of Ukraine. You know. That, that spirit that we have talked about a lot uh, in the response. And, and to your point about, you know, you could see within the first few days of the invasion uh, in what type of state the Russian army was. What still stood out, stands out to me is, you know, remember that long convoy um, that we were that heading towards Kiev that we were all really worried about from a non military perspective. Because for me initially this seemed like a long convoy showing your strength, and then military uh, analysts telling me this is a terrible thing to do logistics wise, because uh, now you now you basically Ukrainian bombers can just pick pick up the targets one by one, so I think that really really showed how much he overestimated his his own capacities and underestimated any response. Bolder, what are your thoughts on this?
1: I mean, obviously Putin is an extremely strong candidate, even though. Um, I stand firmly behind my own nomination, obviously, but um, it is it is very clear that Vladimir Putin lives in his own bubble in some way, otherwise you don't mess up like this. Um, every expert in January and February of this year said if the Russians want to invade, they have to invade with three to four hundred thousand troops at least. And even then it's not clear what success looks like because maybe you can win militarily on the battlefield, but what do you do afterwards which is exactly the reason why I, and by the way, a lot of Ukrainian experts I talked to at the time as well, did not believe that the story that Putin was gonna invade. Um, and the fact that he did, that he actually went through with it in full force, not just with respect to his local, you know, uh, with with the separatist republics, which would have been a little bit more feasible, but that he fully went in, going after the regime in Kiev, the, the government in Kiev to me shows that he's absolutely a very worthy candidate to win this prize as well
0: yeah I, I wholeheartedly agree um, and so moving on to, to my to my nomination uh, so for me it's not an, an individual I want to nominate it's an event um, and almost an organization for me it's the COP 27 that just happened in November so a month ago you know, one of the UN climate conferences, uh, the world has once a year a chance for all world leaders to come together and especially for, for Western leaders to come uh, there and maybe take some ownership or responsibility for uh, for the climate crisis we live in. And I mean, we we read this out in one of the episodes before, I think it was the recap episode 20, where we talked about the COP. And there I read out the fact, you know, that uh, to 20 countries... Um, which are mostly Western, highly highly industrialized, are responsible for 50% of the historical emissions. You know, you would think that these, that these countries would also take 50% of the burden when it comes to you know, um, combating global warming. So for me, that failure of that conference, um, not blaming it on anyone but the West, the West, the West in particular here, uh, the failure for me there stands out as the biggest bubble blooper.
1: I mean, it's from a long-term impact perspective, it's probably the strongest. I mean, it's way more important than distrust, certainly, uh, in terms of in terms of the long-term effects on on our planet. Uh, it 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 has been horrifying to to observe how the West is basically telling itself once again that they're just doing their best and they're the good guys. But that others in the rest of the world also need to pull their weight after a hundred years, or now actually two hundred years of the West polluting the planet and thus becoming as rich as they are now. Um. So to be honest, I feel this is a tricky, a tricky prize because the all three candidates are pretty strong.
0: It is a tricky, a tricky prize. I mean, one more thing I want to, um, I want to add on this is because the the main topic of this COP was to uh, create a fund, you know, a climate resilience fund that developing nations, if struck by a climate catastrophe, you know, thinking about Pakistan, for example, this year, the heavy floods there, um, that they could, you know, use the funds um, from there and basically rebuild their countries. And they were talking about millions, you know, not billions, millions. And the fact that they barely agreed on something there to me uh, stands out here. However, um, artificial drum roll again. The winner here is Liz Truss. I think the decisive factor here was in the amount of time she did uh, a lot of damage. Like it was, I I, I don't remember the exact amount of days, but it was something in the 40s. And ruining a country in 40 days, economically and politically, to me, uh, is is worthy of winning this category biggest bubble blooper.
1: Yeah, they they, they, did it. It is very much the spectacular nature of messing up something that you should never be able to mess up. Uh, that it's, it's, it's not so much an impact because I think we all agree that the impact on Ukraine and the world because of Putin's uh, actions has been much more devastating. Similarly, our Western failure to deal with climate is even, is clearly more damaging than whatever list Trust can do. But there is something singularly spectacular about failing so hard in basically a month's time.
0: See, and this falls into a a larger trend, because um, in preparation for this episode, I looked through the 2022 Wikipedia page, you know, so there's a page on Wikipedia just for the year 2022, and we've already talked a bit about the the Western bias within Wikipedia as a source, because it's written by a lot of Westerners, especially the English written articles, and there, you know, the entire article is basically about singular events from the Russian invasion, sometimes a little bit of climate despite that being you know overall in the long term the way more dawning issue uh, but again ultimately List trust List trust for me is a very worthy winner um, so then, let's move on to uh, the next category um, so we are now going to present the bubble in uh, media claims and here uh, I'm going to make the start just because I've been third uh, for the past few months I, I feel like I, I get to ch- have a chance to, to start and for me it is the overall media coverage on the protests that we just experienced uh, a few weeks ago in China, um, the so-called blank paper protests, where you had a couple of hundred, couple of thousand individuals in a number of different cities on mainland China. Um, you had people protesting against uh, against COVID measures within China, you know, as a response to, uh, to this one incident where presumably, um, I, I, I don't think this was confirmed yet. Uh, people died in a fire because they couldn't escape the house because the house was was locked up over COVID rules. And so you had these protests. And again, these protests were in, in a few different cities and there were a couple of thousand people involved. Um, but for me, the, the Western media reaction of this stands out so much here. And this is the reason why I want to nominate them because... You, you thought that Xi Jinping had to fear that after securing a historic third term at the party congress just two months prior, that his his rule over China was basically shaken and that these protests were going to bring him down. And you had, again, countless articles. We've discussed this in our media episodes. Oh, will these protests bring down Xi? Uh, Xi, he's shaking, you know. Oh, he's so scared of these protests. That, to me, falls into the overall... Um, structures and the overall you know what is the bubble part of of the western media and therefore i nominate the media coverage on the blank paper protests
1: yes and in many ways again a strong nomination obviously because this is very symbolic for how the media covers other stories similar to that right whenever there's an authoritarian regime iran for example and something happens the western bubble makes the media as well as politicians and the general population jump on it with giddy excitement about ah finally they're going to become like us anyone who knows china uh, knows how silly that is with respect to the short-term position of xi or the communist party in general now in the long term china absolutely has difficulties challenges to face and i think the next decade or so is going to be a rough decade for beijing but the media obsession, then, with relatively insignificant protests, clearly shows why we have this podcast. So, in that sense, a very good nomination.
0: See, I like the comparison to Iran, you know, because in Iran you have an actual, very widespread movement of, as far as we can tell, you know, large parts of society. And I mean, there you have the same type of reporting, but with China in particular, you know, it's. Not very significant, the, like the, the number of protesters. Yet the media reaction went up like crazy within a few days. Then the protests were curbed uh, by the government and suddenly media interest died down. And this was that typical, you know, a reflex almost. Oh, an authoritarian uh, regime is struggling. When are they going to fall down? And then moving on to the next nomination for the category uh, media claims. Linda, who did you nominate?
2: Well, once again, I nominate Putin for spreading propaganda and misinformation, and to support my argument, I would like to point out what's probably the most famous example of this year, um, which is when Putin said, I decided to launch a special military operation. Its goal is to protect people who have been subjected to abuse and genocide by the regime in Kyiv for eight years. And for this, we will pursue the demilitarization and denazification of Ukraine, as well as bringing to justice those who committed numerous bloody crimes against civilians, including citizens of the Russian Federation.
0: I think this is a very strong case, you know, that famous speech that he gave on the 24th of February. Um, I think the myths and ideas uh, mentioned in here have been debunked thoroughly. But uh, I, you know, in preparation for this podcast, I thought about this example as well, um, and it's it's crazy. This speech is going to go down in history, you know, as one of those examples that you know, people might read in eighty years about in history books.
1: Yeah. So it, you called it famous, perhaps infamous is the better word in this case, obviously for the reasons you just mentioned, both of you. But it's a very strong nomination. Now it is important to. Realize that this is technically, again, not the Western bubble, because Putin is not part of the West, but it is a very good case of bubble thinking, right, to go fully in in this. And without us analyzing all the complex reasons of why Russia went to war, um, the sheer... the sheer chutzpah to actually put all those words onto paper and to use that as justification to go in Um, shows something about the bubble thinking that he's in, quite obviously.
0: Moving on to then your nomination, Balder, who did you nominate for uh, media claims?
1: Uh, I would argue that maybe not as significant a a player as Vladimir Putin, but a very strong nomination nonetheless is uh, Charlie Dagata, CBS reporter. And maybe uh, we should just play the clip and then talk about it afterwards. Now, with the Russians marching in, it's changed uh, the calculus entirely. Uh, Tens of thousands of people have tried to uh, flee the city. There will be many more. People are hiding out in bomb shelters. But this isn't a place, with all due respect, um, you know, like Iraq or Afghanistan, that has seen conflict raging for decades. You know, this is a relatively civilized, uh relatively European, I have to choose those words carefully too, uh city where you wouldn't expect that or hope that it's going to happen. So it's partly human nature, but they are not in denial. I don't even know where to start here. Uh, he manages within 20 seconds or so to both show western arrogance towards Ukraine and insult Ukrainians, as well as people in Iraq and Afghanistan. I don't think it really requires a lot of explanation. This is a Western reporter who believes that anyone outside of the West, outside of Western Europe and North America, somehow is a little bit backwards, somehow is not as civilized as we are supposed to be. And almost with surprise in his voice, he says, Look, remember, when I'm here, I'm seeing a relatively civilized society that is not as barbaric as. Iraq or Afghanistan. I mean, this this is wrong at so many levels that I would be very upset if this nomination wouldn't win.
0: Indeed, I, I almost feel like I have nothing to add here, Boulder. This is such a clear example of the Western bubble. I mean, I do remember that the reactions that he received for that were very strong. Um, but it's, you know, Ukraine is a relatively civilized country. It's uh, and, and, and then even worse, you know, relatively European I, we talked about this right before this episode what does that mean what's what's relatively European like where, where who decides what what's the cut here
1: and and, and and think about it he even says afterwards I have to choose my words carefully well if this is you choosing your words carefully <laughs> then it just says something about the mindset and this is not just one person I and mean, this is an extreme example but this deeper thinking is, clearly visible in Western media reporting about the rest of the world, right? Where there is this air of arrogance, this air of condescension, and most of the time they hide it a little bit better than he does, but it's very much there.
0: So then our digital drum roll, please. And yes, the clear winner is Charlie Lagata. Uh, this you know, there's no better example of the Western bubble than him so far. Maybe we should ask him to become our mascot.
1: <laughs> a picture of him, <laughs> that would be that would be a good idea. I'm not sure if he would allow that though.
0: <laughs> I'm I'm not sure either. But then yeah, let's move on to the next uh, category, the label terrorism. Uh, so we've talked about this in our episode four, where we analyzed you know terrorism from a Western bubble perspective, and one of our main conclusions was that. It's a term that is increasingly used and abused to just vilify, you know, the other side. And usually this is towards outsiders. Uh, But, I mean, it also happens towards insiders, as I think some of the nominations will show. So, Linda, who did you nominate here?
2: Well, for this one, I nominate Putin again as he accused Ukraine of attacking the bridge to Russian annex Crimea. And he stated, and I quote, uh, there is no doubt that this is an act of terrorism aimed at destroying Russia's critical civilian infrastructure.
1: Yeah, it's such a go-to example. You just, you're fighting an enemy and what you want to do is portray that enemy as as bad as you can get, does putin do he uses the word terrorist because everyone agrees that terrorists are bad it's such i mean it's just silly right Uh, putin is not the only leader who does it but he's a very obvious example of using that label when it is simply not um, logically rationally correct to do so so it's uh, once again a strong nomination
0: and I mean this happens on both sides, right? I mean, so Ukraine calling Russia terrorism, Russia calling Ukraine terrorism, the European Union calling Russia terrorism, and then probably Russia has called the European Union at some point terrorism. It this goes on, right? This is I mean it has it has inflated the the, the term terrorism so much it's it's upsetting.
1: It means that the, the whenever there is an actual terrorist, that, that label no longer has any meaning, right? It's almost as if you now have to invent a new word for the real terrorists. For people who are non-governmental, who use terrorist tactics to have an impact on the society typically they live in, or at least in the global society that they're part of, and uh, those people have different ideologies. They have different levels of morality. You could argue because we've in our episode we discussed what about the French Resistance during the Second World War? They used terrorist tactics. They were terrorists. Does that make them bad? Not necessarily. Uh, there is simply no label for them anymore because everyone is using it just to indicate the bad guy
0: the, the evil doers. I think I could summarize this with that quote that we are all probably tired of hearing but you know one person terrorist is another person's free, uh, freedom fighter. I think that summarizes it very well uh, ultimately. Uh, Balder, who did you nominate for this category?
1: Well I'm cool. I'm nominating not anyone in particular. Uh, But this tendency that has been very visible this year, but has been around for at least 15 years or so, of calling rebel groups in um, the Sahel region and specifically in Mali terrorists. For the past 15, 16 years, the West has militarized the Sahel region, which is the region for listeners below the Sahara Desert. That goes from Senegal, if you like, towards Somalia, depending on which countries you include and this militarization has everything to do with the war on terror that started after 9 11 and part of that war on terror was to actually label more and more groups as being terrorists in order to emphasize the existential threat that global terrorism meant for the west Um, This existential threat never really existed. The rebel groups in the Sahel region in a country like Mali typically aren't terrorists at all. Some of them use terrorist tactics, but most of them don't. They are rebel groups. They have been rebel groups for a long time. They're fighting the government, but that in itself is not terrorism. And yet what happened is that by the West labeling them terrorists, they actually started associating with real terrorist organizations such as ISIS or such as Al-Qaeda. It became a vicious Circle Because the moment that the West says, we are fighting you, and they see Al-Qaeda and ISIS also fighting the West, it becomes a matter of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so they started becoming part of the same financial global networks, same marketing networks, if you like, all becoming a front against Western dominance in non-Western parts of the world. And this was most visible in Mali this year. And in Mali this year in particular, because the Europeans pulled out of Mali um, in, in large part because the chaos that they've created was no longer under their control. They couldn't control it. The Wagner group, the Russian Wagner group, was becoming active and they, the Europeans used that as an excuse to pull out. But essentially it is a matter of 15, 16 years of Western mismanagement in the Sahel m- messing with local societies that they sh- really shouldn't be messing with at all. And at some point, no longer controlling the situation whatsoever, just saying, "Okay, look, there are too many terrorists. They're being supported by the evil Russians. We're going to get out. It's bad, bad foreign policy. And it is a very good case of why you should be so careful in just labeling anyone that you don't like as a terrorist.
0: And that's a very good nomination. Um, However, I believe my nomination is going to top all of them uh, because here it's happening on a foreign policy level. And, you know, I can understand the urge to label an outsider terrorist. However, uh, the case or the nomination I'm bringing here is the Last Generation or the Just Stop Oil Movement. Because while I personally might disagree with their tactics, um, their tactics are definitely not terrorism, um, we, we can say that. Um, they aren't terrorists in any way. They have formed a loosely organized organization, yet they're called terrorists by politicians, you know, from either side of the spectrum and by the media, you know, so certainly by those, those tabloids uh, calling them climate terrorists. So for me, this is, you know, the best example that just illustrates how much the term terrorism is being abused, how much of a label it simply has become for someone whom we don't like.
1: Surely we can all agree that at a very basic level, the word terrorism needs to imply some kind of threat, right? If you don't kill or, or injure or dis- people or destroy things, that at a very minimum, you have to threaten people because you want to achieve certain aims. Who feels threatened by some idiots, because I don't particularly like them, but still, uh, some idiots throwing stuff at paintings? People might be upset about it, People might not like it, but surely that is not threatening. So how could you ever label that terrorism? That is just forgetting about any dictionary, any kind of definition that we have available to us.
0: Exactly. I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, I, again, to me, they're idiots as well because they're fighting for a really important cause, the most important cause that humanity is dealing with. Um, yet they're doing it in ways that, you know, just undermines the entire climate movement. You know, it just gives an excuse to to anyone, uh, like, I mean, this happened to Fridays for Future in the beginning as well, where people just disregarded them as children, and then it grew into that global movement, you know, that has an influence. But these tactics are idiotic. It's uh, terrible, and, I mean, with this digital drumroll, I'm proud to say that, yeah, I, I very much won this category. Because, you know, it's not necessarily that uh, the the tactics of last generation um, or just of oil are terrorist tactics, but that, you know, instinct or reflex by media and by politicians and by society to call them climate terrorists, uh, for me is ultimately undermining the label terrorism to to an extent that, you know, this nomination, I would say, because it's also my uh, nomination, truly deserves uh, the bubble here.
1: Congratulations, Dario. Uh, your first win of the episode, if I'm correct.
0: Exactly. I, you know, I need to catch up a little bit and uh, maybe I'll get to do so in the last category. Um, this category we call the bubble buster. Uh, basically, for what person, what individual uh, played a role within the Western bubble or maybe from outside of the Western bubble that helped or is attempting to burst the Western bubble. Um, and yeah, I, let me just start with my nomination. I nominated Angela Merkel, the former German Chancellor, uh, I mean, who's no longer in office, yet her attempts to, un, to understand Putin in particular, and again, this is, this is uh, going to be about the Russian invasion of Ukraine, um, but Angela Merkel's attempt to understand and reason with him, uh, to at least, you know, try to see his perspective to me, was something admirable. I mean, she has said by now that she probably underestimated him as well, is that uh, her take on him may have been too much of an appeasement, that she miscalculated something, which, first of all, I, I like it when politicians can admit that they are maybe wrong. But her attempts to properly understand the other side and maybe see reasoning behind the Russian narrative and the russian reasoning behind uh the the russian invasion of ukraine that to me stands out and this is something that i haven't seen from active politicians in the west
1: she she is a wonderful example of not playing the game that the west has set up in many ways right even though she has been a very western and successful um chancellor and and global leader she did not have that mentality that you see in the anglo-saxon world for example and we've emphasized this before the western bubble is very much pushed by the anglo-saxon world they're not the only ones responsible continental europe also plays the game but merkel is a good example of someone who does it in her own way and who has had a lot of success with that and i still stand by the idea that putin would have behaved very very differently if merkel had been around because then he still had someone who was perceived to be a little bit outside of that Western arrogance, that Western bubble that Moscow is so concerned about.
0: And so who do you nominate for the bubble burster, Boulder?
1: I nominate President Erdogan from Turkey, um, who... My is a controversial figure for many reasons. Uh, It is not our job or our interest to actually analyze his internal politics, his domestic politics. We are not defending him. But what we're interested in is foreign policy and how his foreign policy goes against the Western bubble. And in that sense, he's had a brilliant year. He has been very, very good at pushing a foreign policy agenda, regardless of anything happening internally within Turkey, that accomplished turkish goals but also showed the world that you can deal with putin without necessarily actively supporting putin that you can have a good impact by working together with kiev and with moscow at the same time not playing the game of acting as if your country turkeys in his case is at war with russia or at war with anyone else saying look this is a very unfortunate conflict between ukraine and russia Turkey wants to bring this to a peaceful solution and very specifically would like to at least make sure that the rest of the world doesn't unnecessarily suffer. Therefore, I am going to at the very least negotiate uh, with both countries to make sure that uh, grain keeps on flowing to the rest of the world, which is particularly important for the developing countries that are dependent on grain from Ukraine. And even when Putin threatens to close that off, he basically did his own thing and he could get away with it without any retaliation from Moscow because he managed to stay out of this antagonistic Western bubble that Putin is facing.
0: See, for me, the most important aspect uh, for this case is the fact that he Erdogan is willing to pursue diplomacy, that he... For selfish reasons, obviously, presents himself as a potential negotiator or mediator um, in in this in, well in this conflict. But this is something that I don't see from anyone else within the West. Um, again, it's arguable whether Erdogan is part of the West or outside of the West. I would say this really depends on the topic. But the fact that there are voices within the Western Western bubble. Um, that are arguing for diplomacy are you know completely disregarded at this moment. To me, is something is something dangerous and concerning. And so here, Erdogan for me is doing a, an important job by at least saying hello. Let's let's use diplomacy here. Uh, let's let's try to reduce uh, suffering.
1: And he's actually achieved that very uh, with huge impact on the world, positive impact. And I can't see a European Western sorry Western European leader being able to point at the same thing when it comes to their attitude to Ukraine. What they've achieved is being part of the conflict itself, but they haven't been able to mitigate the circumstances surrounding the uh, conflict.
0: And Linda, who did you nominate for the category of the bubble burster?
2: Well, this time I definitely cannot nominate Putin, so I will agree with you, Dario, um, with your nomination of Merkel
0: first of all, thank you very much. Um I think this you know puts me at least at least as a tie. But um I would say if if we can't call Putin the bubble burster, we can call him the bubble blower, maybe uh, because he this year managed to unite the Western bubble uh, to to levels that maybe only nine eleven achieved.
1: Yes, he has been absolutely the opposite of a bubble burster, hasn't he? Because what he has done, he has made NATO all of a sudden feel legitimate again. He has made Western politicians be proud to be supporting liberal democracy. He has made all of us forget about our internal problems because we're fighting the bad guys. He has done everything possible to unite the transatlantic alliance that it was slowly drifting apart europe and the united states and canada were drifting in other directions but all of a sudden because of the war in ukraine they're back together fighting the same fight if i didn't know any better you would almost think that putin was paid for by the cia or something like this to do what he did
0: i <laughs> i mean an interesting theory uh, but yeah it's... <laughs>
1: it's 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 not an official theory don't start writing in that i'm wrong i know
0: Um, exactly but for me you know nato was called brain dead in 2018 by french president emmanuel macron and now nato is once again the backbone of uh, european defense so if you achieve that and then even worse uh, for putin um, you manage to convince sweden and finland that who used to be very happy with their neutrality status um, that they suddenly be- need to become part of NATO, I think you've uh, properly achieved the opposite of bursting the Western bubble. Um, and so with this, um, moving on to the uh, digital drum roll. Yeah, the winner here is Angela Merkel. Which puts me uh, at, two, uh, <laughs> at two wins, basically, in these categories. Uh, Bold you as well. And Linda, I think um, you would have actually won four of these categories if we hadn't been, you know, too hesitant to make Putin win every single time, because I think he, he definitely could have.
1: That's a very fair point. Uh, and again, also because of this continuous tension of is, can we include Putin if our whole purpose is to focus on the West, obviously.
0: But yeah, now I'm moving on to some honorable mentions uh, because I think there were some categories uh, that we thought about um, and definitely some very strong contenders uh, in these categories that definitely have to be mentioned here as uh, so we thought about a category for a destroyed an institution based on our episode uh, the hollowing out of institutions and um, yeah there were there were quite a few quite a few players uh, first of all the guardian boulder
1: the guardian to me has been one of the main dramas in my personal life because i am such a loyal reader and they've been so disappointing in bubble thinking not just when it comes to the western bubble the guardian basically used to be a good investigative journalistic news reporting organization but more and more what they do is they essentially Choose a moral site on any topic, whether it is Ukraine or whether it is COVID or whether it is the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, something completely insignificant, um, at least from a bigger IR perspective. And they choose which is the right side and which is the wrong side. And then you will see article after article pushing that narrative, which is exactly the opposite of what I would like my news medium to do. So every morning with pain in my heart, I still click on their website. But they are very much a victim of bubble thinking and deserve to be mentioned
0: yeah especially for their coverage uh, during covid 19 i mean which we, which we discussed extensively in our episode on covid 19 yeah it's a, it's, a, it's a shame um that you know a news a news organization can go can go into that direction but i think this applies to the majority of media outlets in the west
1: which is which is exactly why they would be nominated. It's not just the Guardian that they're destroying like this, but they're destroying our whole perspective on what good journalism and good media reporting is all about.
0: So then there was another category that we thought about including. There was historical revisionism. And here it has to be someone from the United Kingdom, right? I mean, we talked about this in our last episode on historical awareness, um, and pointed to the United Kingdom as one of the countries you know, having not necessarily dealt with their past in a, in a constructive way. Uh, Baldur, who, who, who do we want to nominate here? Well, this is the British Army Chief, Patrick
1: Sanders, um, who held a speech earlier this year after the invasion of Ukraine. And this is what he said. In all my years in uniform,
0: I haven't known such a clear threat to the principles of sovereignty and democracy and the freedom to live without fear of violence, as the brutal
1: aggression of President Putin and his expansionist ambitions. I believe we're living through a history, a period of history as profound as the one our forebears did 80 years ago. And now, as then, our choices
0: will have a disproportionate effect on the future.
1: And Dario, I expect that you've got something to say about especially these words that this is our 1937 moment.
0: Well, from a German perspective, I um, I I I must say I I find that phrasing difficult uh, to say the least. Uh, from a Ukrainian perspective, um, uh, I I mean I'm not going to speak for any Ukrainians, but I can imagine what they're thinking about this.
1: It is it is an unpleasant. Reminder of what the bubble can look like, right? Even though I must admit that looking at this list, we've been going after the UK quite a lot, but that is is not a coincidence, right? The United Kingdom together, maybe with the United States, but certainly historically the United Kingdom has laid the foundation for liberal democracy in the 21st century, and they very much put the air into the bubble because of their blindness to their... Own historical and present behavior on the world stage.
0: Well, I imagine that next year um, I assume the war in Ukraine is going to take up less you know, of the overall IR and Western bubble thinking. I assume that Linda is going to nominate some other candidates and I'm pretty sure we're going to include more from the United States here because I'm actually surprised the US is so underrepresented here.
1: That is uh, actually a good thing. I think it's very easy to go after the United States. It's, they have been the most powerful nation for the past 70, 80 years. And rightfully so, they receive a lot of criticism. But there is enough of that in the world, right? It's, it's good sometimes to focus on others. And in many ways, the United States is just the illegitimate child of the United Kingdom. So, you know, blame the parents, not the children.
0: And so, yeah, uh, to our listeners, if you have any other honorable mentions that you think we forgot or if you think that we forgot uh, anyone in the five categories we talked about, or if you happen to disagree with uh, any of the winners we picked, uh, please feel free to send us an email to thewesternbubble at gmail.com. Thank you very much to you, Linda, for joining us today, you know, in the episode and not just behind the scenes as usually.
2: Well, thank you so much, Dario and Balder. It's been a pleasure. Uh, speaking on the podcast
0: today thank you very much to the listeners for joining us today make sure to join us again next year when we come back in january to burst the western bubble that is it from my side balder which closing quote did you pick for us at the end of this year
1: well i'm very much aware that even though we are focused on the western bubble um, not everyone listening to this podcast lives in the west fortunately we've got listeners from all over the world However, uh, most of our listeners will be heading towards the holiday season, so I thought I would just quote infinite amount of people from the past to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, a very good end of 2022, and a very good beginning of the new year.